All right, Transit family. I know it's been a couple weeks since we gathered and there's a lot to catch up on. But I need to grab your seats. We don't have a cool sermon bumper. Grab your seats, grab your seats. Thank you, thank you. Happy New Year, Transit family. How's everyone doing today? You feeling good? Amen, amen. Who here, show of hands, stayed up past midnight for the new year? Wow, y'all are partiers. Look at that. Uh, this past, uh, uh, what was it, Friday night, it was the first time I stayed up past midnight in like six years. And I'm still recovering from it. So uh, we were worshiping Jesus at the Workmen's. Awesome, awesome uh, way to bring in the new year. So uh, here's the deal. Oh, I, I forgot to make a quick announcement. I was asked to make this announcement uh, for the new year. I don't know if you've set New Year's resolutions yet, uh, but one of them could be to volunteer part of your Sunday mornings with the guest services team uh, for 2022. So uh, uh, we are, we're always in need of volunteers. Thankfully, though, at the transit, uh, uh, stats would show, which we've done recently, is that roughly 80% of y'all already volunteer on some department here at the transit. And so we usually, it takes a small army to make everything happen. But one of the areas that needs a little bit more volunteers uh, would be guest services. Guest services, you come around 8.15, 8.30, make some coffee, set everything up, spruce it up, and then you get to put a big smile on your face and greet everyone and make everyone jolly and happy, okay? So if that uh, is something that uh, you feel the Lord tugging on your heart to do, talk to Alex Rogers, boom, right there, uh, or Facebook comment saying, I want to come serve and we'll get you on the team. Okay, uh, with that said, um, every new year, if you've been at the transit for a while now, you know that every turn of the year, we like to start the new year off by looking at the spiritual disciplines. Uh, for the month of January, this has been our tradition. We're going to keep that tradition going, but we've looked at getting in the Word. We've looked at uh, done a series on prayer. Last year, we did a series on abiding in John 15. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Um, and uh, judging by the sermon slide, what, what do you think we're talking about for five weeks in January? We're talking about praise, baby. Yes. Talking about some praise and worship, singing songs of adoration, affection, and exaltation to our King for all that he is and all that he's done uh, for us. And the series title is The Power of Praise. Why is that our series title? Because it sounds awesome. That's why. Uh, just kidding. It's not the, it's not the real reason. Uh, the reason why is because there's often a lot of misunderstanding about why we in the scriptures see God's people singing all the time and see God commanding his people to sing to him. There's a misunderstanding. Exhibit A would be Sunday morning. I don't know if you know this, but uh, some Sundays we spend more time singing than we do listening to a sermon. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've never in the history of my walk with Jesus have ever heard a sermon series on praise and singing. I've never heard that before. And yet, every Sunday, we ask you guys to come and sing for like 45 minutes to your king. And yet, we never talk about it. And yet, if you study the scriptures, which I had the joy of doing to kind of carve out this, this sermon series, what you see is... Um, the mind-blowing truth of how central and expansive it is in the scriptures for the people of God to be singing praises to his name. A fun fact is this, is that in the Old Testament alone, in the Old Testament alone, there are 170 references to either the people of God singing to him or being commanded to do so. 170 
And that's the old covenant. How much more on the other side of the Messiah coming and dying on the cross and resurrecting and ascending and being seated, do we, the new covenant people of God, have a wealth of more revelation to sing about? Amen? And so it begs the question, well, what is praise? I love what C.S. Lewis has to say uh, about praise. And essentially what he says is praise is, is it starts in your heart. It's not just what comes out of your mouth, but it's where it comes from. It's inner joy. It's inner health being made audible is what C.S. Lewis says. That as we see our Savior and who he is and we behold him, we see him, we savor him, and then what naturally just overwhelms out of the enjoyment that we have, the satisfaction we have in knowing the living God is crying out in praise. The psalmist says, oh, taste and see that my God is a good God. Overwhelmed. Seeing leads to savoring, which leads to proclaiming and praising. This is what C.S. Lewis says. All enjoyment of something spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Uh, readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, Motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles. Now listen uh, real quick, just for you Gen Zers out there. This was written before uh, TikTok and technology. And so people ask, <laughs> actually used to, I guess, I guess, according to C.S. Lewis, praise stamps and beetles. All right? Fun fact there. <laughs> don't know, I got you everywhere else, but I don't know about stamps and beetles, uh, C.S. Lewis. All right. Even sometimes politicians or... <laughs> Any stamp collectors here? Okay, no. Okay. Uh, except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere. I love this. Praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. And what he's getting there is that praise is an, out, praise is an outward expression of a heart worn by the presence of God and the love of their Redeemer. It's the natural outflow as we encounter the depths of his love for us in Christ Jesus. Or stated differently, whatever has your heart has your song. Whatever has your heart's deepest longing, whatever has your heart's greatest joy and greatest delight has your song. Has your song. That's the equation of praise. We behold glory and beauty, and then it leads to proclaiming its goodness. And so if you're asking, man, how in the world are we going to talk about singing and praise and, and worship for five weeks? Well, just a quick heads up, I'd encourage you to read Revelation, and we're going to be singing forever. The primary activity of heaven, if you read Revelation, the saints and the angels gather around the throne is singing praises. Why? Why? Because, listen, there's coming a day, soon and very soon, where all the saints with unveiled faces glorified will be seeing the glory of God and the natural outflow of being blown away at his beauty and his majesty leads to singing. It's a knee-jerk reaction. That's why we're going to be singing because we're going to be beholding his presence forever, basking in his glory, which leads to boom, worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. It's the cry of the saints. We'll be singing forever because we'll be beholding forever. And if that's what we're going to be doing forever, it serves us well to uh, talk about it for the next five weeks, hear about 
Why do the scriptures emphasize singing so much? What's its purpose, so on and so forth? So anyways, all I have to say, let me give a breakdown of the series before I get ahead of myself. Here's the breakdown. If you're asking how are we going to do this, here's how we're going to do this. So today I'm going to be talking about the purpose of praise. What is praise and kind of what is its primary purpose? What is it? And we already talked about it a little bit. I'm going to further unpack how it's tied to our hearts. And then after we talk about the purpose of praise, next week Joe Workman is going to give an awesome sermon about the place of praise. We're going to ask and answer the question, well, what do we enter into? Where do we go when we begin to praise our king? And what Hebrews 12 and what Revelation 4 and 5 show us is that when the uh, saints on this side of eternity corporately gather, the redeemed of God corporately gather on a Sunday morning, if you will, to proclaim the excellencies of their redeemer, we're actually entering into in the spiritual realm what's already taking place in heaven. We're, we're going there. By the Spirit, we're entering in. It's what the scriptures say, and it's also what, got some quotes to share, Edmund Clowney, a Reformed cessationist, says, and Wayne Grudem says as well. Got the receipts to show that. And Joe, Joe Work, I can't think of a better person to preach that sermon than Joe Workman next week, so make sure you're there. It's going to be amazing. I'm mind blown in my study as I was encountering some saying, wow, there's something more happening here. That's the whole purpose of the power of praise, is I think sometimes we think, we think that singing songs is just the warm-up for the sermon, Right? It's like the church gathering to play jock jams in the locker room before you hit the, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe that's just, maybe that's the way sometimes I view it, like, okay, the, the pump up, you know, and then, or whatever. And we, 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 we treat it as something trivial and unimportant. And the reason we're entitling it power of praise is because we have to realize there's so much more happening when we're singing to God. There's so much more happening. It's all over the pages of Scripture. And when we do that, something is happening. We're actually entering into something. And God, by his presence, is drawing near to us. And so for two weeks, after we talk about the place of praise, for two weeks, we're going to spend two weeks on talking about the power of praise. What is happening when we begin to adore our king in adoration and songs of praise and, and worship. One, we're going to see that uh, 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 praise is the means often of our transformation, of us conforming our minds into the likeness of Jesus because beholding him leads to becoming like him. 2 Corinthians 3 teaches us that. And then the second, I'm, I'm jazzed about preaching this, on the fourth Sunday, we're going to talk about praise as warfare. The power of praise. Listen, I don't know if you've read this story. It's in the scriptures that actually when David begins to praise God, Saul's demons flee. Praise is a weapon. Praise is warfare. That praise does something. I'm, I'm jazzed. There's a lot of, uh, anyways, I'm jazzed about that one. Don't want to preach that one. Yes. And then lastly, we're going to be talking the fifth week, we're going to talk about the pattern of praise. Uh, how does the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures, encourage us to sing to God, to praise? Like, <laughs> should we go hymns or hillsong? Should we... Uh, instruments, no instruments, uh, clapping, no clapping. Y'all, man, y'all, man, worship was awesome. Someone clapping, it's awesome. I loved it, all right? Sometimes we don't know what to do with our hands with worship. Like, can they only come up here? If I'm feeling frisky, I'll turn them out like that. You know, like, sometimes we, we're like, what do I do with my hands? Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us what we should do and how we should worship. And I'm, I'm excited about preaching that this Sunday. So all that to say, that's the breakdown of the text in our, uh, of our series and um, I'm really excited for it. I hope you guys are as well. So our text today is actually James 4, 1 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James 4, verses 1 through 8, and you might be asking, if you know this text, you might be asking, what in the world, Nick, does this have to do with uh, praise? This, this uh, verse about um, sin and repenting of sin and adultery and returning to God, what does this have to do with praise? And it has everything to do with praise, this text this morning, is because... Before God wants your song, he wants your heart. 
Before God wants your praise, he wants your heart. Matthew 15, 8. Jesus says this, quoting the prophet Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so it serves us no good for the next five weeks to learn fun facts about praise, to maybe get a little bit more courage to actually sing and raise our hands and worship if our hearts are a million miles away from our Savior these next five weeks. Does us know that God wants your heart, your heart's deepest longing, your desires. And when he gets your heart fully and totally, and we turn and we repent from vain, seeking vain idols and delighting in vain idols, when he gets it fully, he gets your song. He gets your song. And so with that said, let's read James 4, 1 through 8, and then we'll dive in here. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and, and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we... We come before you so grateful that we can come before you. The only reason that we can gather together and draw near to you is because you first drew near to us in your son, in the giving of your son, to absorb the wrath of our sins, to wash away that which separated us from your presence. And you did that because even in the face of our sins, you delighted in us. And you loved us, for God so loved the world that you came for us. And Jesus, you gave your life so that we could find true and everlasting life in you, the only place that it can be found. So we come forth with mouthful of praise, blessing your name, thanking you, God. And I ask God, I say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Search us, O God. Come take what is rightfully yours. Receive the reward of your suffering. In our hearts, God. Any area, God, I ask, and you do it up here, you even convict me while I'm up here preaching. Holy Spirit, reveal any area of our lives where we're singing a song to a different lover and to a different God. Anywhere where our delight is not for you and for other gods, reveal that and show us, God, that you alone have the rivers of living water that can quench our thirst. And your cry, help us to see your compassion, help us to see your love, help us to see your delight and your mercy, and let, help us to hear your song calling us back to all the weary and the heavy laden to come to me and find rest. And so come, Holy Spirit, pray that Jesus would be magnified, we'd see him, we'd behold him, you open up our eyes and our hearts to receive what you have for us, and I pray, Lord, that he would magnify and he would increase, and I would decrease up here. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, the first point of my talk is this, is all of humanity has been created to chase after delight. All of humanity has been created to chase after joy and delight and happiness. Repeatedly in the first three verses of our text, 
James, the brother of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, beautifully unpacks the human condition. He asks and answers. He says, what is the internal motivating factor behind the external uh, sins that plague us? Behind murder and quarreling and fighting and Facebook rants and division, he says, is it not this? Your passions, your passions inside of you in your inner man are waging war against you. Your passions are not in align with God's will. And they're seeking things that are not of the Lord. That's causing all the mess in your life and in your church. What James is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what's so fascinating, twice he mentions that word passion. Well, in the Greek, that's where we get the Greek word for hedonism. For hedonism, what is hedonism? It's simply the pursuit of pleasure. The pursuit of pleasure. A hedonist is someone who consistently and incessantly pursues Pleasure, and what I would articulate, and I believe the scriptures make crystal clear, is that all of us were designed and hardwired as hedonists. And that probably triggers you, so let me state it in a different way. All of us were hardwired as worshipers. We were designed to worship. We were designed to adore. We were designed, we were created, we were hardwired with an internal, inward desire to continually chase after joy and satisfaction in someone or something. And what that means is this, is you never stop worshiping. You never stop chasing after joy. You never stop chasing after delight. Anyone here ever have the uh, brakes fail in the car they were driving? Show of hands. Anyone? No. Oh, a lot of y'all. Terrifying experience, right? So a while back, uh, I forget how long ago it was, I had this Mazda Protégé. It was amazing. I loved it. A hatchback. I think it was a Protégé Sport, so it was like lower. It had the race track type, and four-cylinder didn't go that fast. Anyways, hugged the, hugged the ground, man. It was awesome. Anyways, I got 230,000 miles out of that thing. It was amazing. But there came a point. I was southbound on Pickett uh, over by uh, in Fairfax, and all of a sudden I hit the brakes, and it goes all the way to the floor. And I'm like, holy smokes, that's terrifying. Um, and uh, what, you, what do you do when that happens? Well, you have this thing called an emergency brake. Like if you're parachuting and the main parachute fails, right, you do the ripcord and you do the other thing. Well, what happens when you pull the e-brake and, and it's like you almost pull it out of the, you know, there's nothing there. You're cranking this thing. You're like, my car won't stop. The e-brake didn't work. And so now I'm, I'm traveling pretty fast, and by God's grace alone, I wasn't on 495 or on the highway going, Lord knows only how fast I was going driving back in those days. Um, but I found an empty parking lot where I could turn off, I mean, did a turn on like two wheels, and put it in low gear, and basically, and then finally slowed down to neutral and like, boom, like hit a curve, you know, and then popped it in park. But here's the deal. The reason I share that is this, is often when we talk about uh, a, our Christian walk and pursuing God, sometimes we think that, Sin, going back to this illustration, sin is hitting the brakes. And the gas pedal is pursuing God. That, that, we, that we actually hit the brakes when we sin and we stop pursuing God. And, and that's not true to what the scriptures teach us. Actually, what's true is that in your inner man, your hunger for joy and satisfaction, your inner desire to worship someone or something never turns off. It's 8,000 RPMs. The gas pedal is always to the floor. Meaning this, so you don't have control over the speed. All you have control over is where you direct your car. It's where you turn the steering wheel, right? It's directional. It's not, it's not where you're going. This is the way, um, uh, oh man, got way ahead of myself on my notes. Awesome. Uh, this is uh, what Thomas Chalmers has to say. I love, I love this quote. We only cease 
to be the slave of one appetite because another taste has brought it into subordination. A youth may cease to idolize sensual pleasure, but it's only because the idol of material gain has gotten ascendancy. There is not one personal transformation in which the heart is left without an object of ultimate beauty and joy. Did you hear that? I'll repeat it. There is not one personal transformation in which the heart is left without an object of ultimate beauty and joy. Its desire for one particular object may be conquered, but its desire to have some object is unconquerable. Unconquerable. And this is what he says. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Of a new one. The only way you're going to conquer sin, Galatians 5 makes crystal clear, is by the Holy Spirit. It says you will gratify the desires of the sinful flesh unless you live and walk by the Spirit and have your affections warmed and glowing red hot in affection for Jesus. And this is what Jesus still does today. When you come to encounter the living God, everything else that used to razzle and dazzle you fades away and he becomes what you supremely value and treasure. But what the biggest thing that this reveals about sin is exactly what I'm getting at. I'm stealing it from Thomas Chalmers, but also the scriptures is that we were designed to worship and we can only steer. That's what sin is. It's turning away from God to go and find joy and satisfaction in false gods. And so therefore, what sin is after and the demonic, what we're going to see in James is that uh, 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 what the devil is after is not just you and you, you having all these sins. He's after your song. He's after your heart's delight and, and taking and stealing the praise and glory that's due for your creator and your redeemer. And he wants to soak it in and he wants to receive the praise. And so just as much as God is after your joy, your delight and your song, the devil is after your heart and after your song as well. With that which grips you in joy and adoration and affection, the devil loves it when we bow down and worship to him and in our heart's delight and we bow down to false gods and idols. And so returning to our text, with that in mind, the solution James gives in our text to these kind of sinful, hedonistic pleasure seekers is not hit the brakes, it's change directions. It's change directions with your desires. And this is what he says. As my second point is this, is that all of us, yes, were created to chase after delight, uh, created as worshipers, and all of us have been created uh, to delight in God. We've been created to find our ultimate joy, our ultimate satisfaction in knowing God, in abiding in his presence, in dwelling in his presence. That's why we exist. I'm going to get into the chief end here a little bit later. But returning to our text, verse 4, this is what James says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. What is he saying here? Friendship is all about delight. Friendship is all about affection. Uh, friendship is all about companionship and where your heart's desire is at. And what James is articulating is that if your heart delights and rejoices and sings, the things of the world, not that we can't, that God created the world for our enjoyment. But Romans 1 makes crystal clear, when we bow down and worship the created rather than the creator, that's idolatry, that's false worship. It's false worship. And if your delight and affection is for the things of the world and not God, what James is making crystal clear, he's saying that's spiritual adultery. It's stepping outside the covenant that God has made with you and you have made with God, where God, throughout the scriptures, 
um, redeems his people, and then he makes a covenant with them, and he speaks over them, and he says this. He said, you, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And then the people respond. The people respond, covenanting back, and they say, yes, you will be our God, and we will be your people, and we will not serve and bow down to any other God in worship and adoration. And if you're married here, you know that on the altar, you didn't make a contractual agreement. You made a covenant. You pledged a covenant in the sight of God and God's people, and you said this to your future spouse. You said, I do. And what that means is I don't to everybody else. It means that my affection, my delight is reserved solely for you. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing, there's, there's nothing else that I want to delight in and, and no one else I want to know but you, you alone. When I say I do, it means I don't to every other false God. And so James calls them away from their sins and calls them back to their covenantal faithful Lord. He calls the unfaithful back. And this is God's grace to us, right? It's amazing when you study the scripture to see God's patience and his love, a God who covenants with his people, and his people are continually, time and time again, unfaithful, chasing after false gods, running after false gods, and God continually pours out his faithfulness and invites them to come back, and invites them to come back to the extent that he makes it possible for them to return because he crushes his son so that he can redeem his people and bring them home to his presence. That's how much love he has for us. And this is what James says in verse 7. He says, don't just hit the brakes, change your worship to the Lord. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What James is saying to the church is saying, stop dancing with the devil and delighting in things that can never satisfy your heart and turn to the all-satisfying God of love who has a never-ending river of living waters to satisfy your thirsty soul. And one of the most beautiful truths of the gospel is that you and I, we get God. God is the gospel. God is the chief blessing of the gospel. It's not just the forgiveness of sins and a free pass to heaven. The forgiveness of sins is Jesus Christ absorbing the wrath of God against your sins and mine so that which once separated us, our sin and our rebellion, can be nailed to the cross, washed away, so that what? So that the veil can be torn so that there's no more separation between a sinful humanity and, a, and the holy of holies, the holy God. So now, now, and so this is what Hebrews teaches us, the author of Hebrews. So what Jesus came to do was to wipe away, to tear away that which once separated us, so that why? Why? What, what's the ultimate purpose? So that we, with confidence, can enter into the, the holy of holies and approach the throne of grace with confidence. God's presence indwelling us and us seeking God's presence. God's presence is the gospel. It's what we get. The Holy Spirit indwelling us. And if we get his presence, what we learn here is that we get pleasures forevermore. Because God is the most supremely valuable being on the planet Earth. And if you agree with me that that is true, then the next thing is true. So that the most loving, if that is true, the deduction follows that if God is the most supremely valuable being on the planet Earth, then the most loving thing he can do for you and I is to point us to himself and say, come to me. I'm what you're seeking. I'm what you're created to thirst and hunger for. True joy, true satisfaction can only be found in me. So it's not vanity. It's not selfish 
uh, whatever, as God is lacking something and he needs our praise, he's saying the most loving thing I can do is point you to something better. Everything else is false. Everything, everything else is going to lead to sin and, and, and to death and to misery. I am what you are seeking. And if we get his presence, we get pleasures forevermore. This is what scripture clearly teaches. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so what we learn as those hardwired to be hedonists is that our pursuit of pleasure finally finds its rest in the presence of God. It was St. Augustine who says our hearts are restless until they find their rest. And the, any U2 fans here? U2, the band U2? Yeah. You know the song I'm about to quote? Right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Right? Like, I have done I'm not going to say, I don't can't say. Anyways, uh, something, something, angels. Anyways, um, I love U2. I love the song. Actually, anyways, uh, I love you too. Uh, here's the deal, transit family. Like, be reminded of this by the sheer undeserved grace of God. If you are here today in Christ Jesus, you have found what your heart has been searching for. You have found. You've been found by God, and you have found what your heart has been looking for and craving for. The search is over. Sorry, you too. Sorry, Bono, like, like I know Bono loves Jesus, and, but the song still is like, no, like we have found what we're looking for. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and nothing holds a candle to the abundant life, the fullness of joy, and the pleasures forevermore that, it, uh, that, that, that comes with knowing the living God by Christ Jesus. Nothing comes even close. We have found what our hearts have restlessly been searching for and clawing for you. So you might be saying, okay, Nick, what does all of this have to do with praise? It has everything to do with praise because whatever has your heart and has your delight, has your song. John Piper is famous for saying that the chief end of our lives is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, that you were created to delight in God. That is how God is shown as that which is supremely valuable is, is our satisfaction in him. Other, another way to say that would be this, is that if we exist for the glory of God, well, how then is God most glorified in us? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in his people when the constant refrain out of our hearts and on our lips is taste and see that our God is a great God. And because he's a great God, he's worthy of great praise. And I will not be silent. If we ask why 170 times in the Old Testament and for all of eternity and revelation and to come, why are we singing is because that's how worthy our king is. That's how good our king is. That's how loving our king is. That's how powerful our king is. That's how awesome our king is, who he is and what he has done on our behalf, even in the midst of our sins. He's worthy. He's worthy to be praised. And that's when he gets the glory is when our hearts are delighting in him. So the simple question I want to pose to us this morning, and I don't want to condemn, but I want the Holy Spirit to convict. Condemnation leads to death. Conviction leads to life. Conviction is something we can thank the Holy Spirit for. It's one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit because what the Holy Spirit does, we're blind sometimes to our sin. He'll bring the spotlight on it and say, hey, this is what's robbing you of joy. This is sin. You need to turn from it. Why? So that we turn to Jesus, who is life. We turn from death to life. And so the simple question I want to ask is this. Is in your inner man... Does your heart delight in God? 
does your heart sing with affection and joy for who Jesus is and what he's done for you? Every morning when you wake up, I stated differently, when you wake up and the alarm goes off, what's the first thing you crave? The first longing of your heart when you wake up in the morning. Is it, oh God, thank you that I get to spend another day with you. I get to talk to you, me. Little old me. In spite of my sin, you, you want to hang out with me. You want to be with me on my commute. You want to be with me at work. Who am I to receive the highest honor, the presence of the King of Kings? 24-7, every second of every day. Thank you, God. What do you have in store today? What do you want to say? What do you want to do? I'm going to proclaim your goodness today. A divine visit every second of my life. The Holy Spirit present with me. The Spirit of Christ indwelling me. Is that what our hearts are crying out for? Jesus died. He gave his life. He absorbed the wrath of God so that we could have that as our inheritance forever. Or if you're like me, is it a simple cup of coffee that has our heart's desire? No joke, as I'm preparing the sermon this week, the Holy Spirit convicted me that the night before, because y'all gifted me some good coffee this Christmas, all right? That my heart the night before would delight in and look forward to a, a stinking cup of joe. And I'd wake up and that'd be the first thing on my mind. The Lord said, Nick, am I not better? Am I not sweeter? Is there not more to rejoice in me? I got another wrong guy. I drank coffee this morning for the glory of God. Right? I'm watching people drink coffee as I'm saying this. Ah, He's better, church. He's better. He's what your soul was created for. He's what your soul was created for. And another Netflix binge, another Amazon purchase, another hobby outing is not going to satisfy your soul. Jesus Christ has monopoly on joy and true satisfaction and abundant life. It can only, only be found in knowing God and being known by him. And so here's my encouragement to us today is that before God wants your song, he wants your heart. And would you pray this prayer these next five weeks? Because for some of us, and man, I'm right there with you, right? There's seasons, all of us, right? There's, it's highs and lows, right? Peaks and valleys sometimes in our hearts being warm for Christ. For some of us here, maybe, maybe our hearts aren't warm. Maybe they are cold. And the beautiful thing when Jesus in Revelation 3, talking to the church at Laodicea, says, he kind of rebukes them for their lukewarmness. He says, I'm knocking, even in spite of your new lukewarmness, even in spite of you being pitiful, poor, naked, and blind. Go read Revelation 3. Jesus is saying, I still want to come in and dine with you. I still want to come in and feast with you. And so in, over the next five weeks, my encouragement is pray this prayer with me. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. See, God, search me, Holy Spirit, and reveal to me where my heart is singing to another God, where I'm pursuing delight in broken cisterns, in waters that can never satisfy. And lead me, O God, in the way of everlasting 
in the way of everlasting. And the beautiful reality is that repentance is never condemnation. Like I've said before, it's an invitation to something far better. And the far greater truth is this, church, is that repentance is only possible. Repentance, turning from chasing after sin to turning to God, it's only possible because God wants you to draw near to him. Because God wants you to draw near to him. Because God delights in your presence, just as we were created to delight in his presence. And that's my final point this morning as we slowly wrap up here is this. And band, you can come on up. Final point is this, is all of us have been created to delight in God. Who for some unfathomable reason delights in us. James 4, 5. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us? What this clearly teaches is that our God earnestly longs for your heart's delight and your affection to the extent that Jesus would die, take our place, to take our sins. Not just so that we could draw near to him, but so that he could draw near to us. To the extent God's delight in you, his desire for you, that when Christ ascended after his ascension and he sat down at the right seat of the Father, the Father gave him the promise, the promise, received the promise of the Father. And what did he do? He poured out his presence the day of Pentecost the church so that every believer has the presence of God dwelling there. So that as even as your head hits the pillow tonight, God's with you. He's beside you. Why? Because he wants your heart. He wants your allegiance. Nothing holds a candle to what he has in store for you. And I'll conclude with Zephaniah 3.17. says this, The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. Receive that today. Don't let the voice of the enemy, shame and condemnation, keep you from receiving that. He takes great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. We stated earlier in the sermon that whatever has your heart has your song. Whatever has your delight has your song. And we see in Zephaniah 3, God takes delight in his people. He takes delight in you. And because of that, a song wells up in his mouth and he sings over his people songs of delight. And so last night as I'm preparing this message, my family, we just moved this past week. Blessing of God. It was kind of a crazy week and I was playing catch up yesterday as you do. And um, it was late at night, probably around six o'clock. It's late for me these days. And my oldest daughter, my precious daughter, even grandma was there. We had a celebrity, like when grandma shows up, man, and stays with us, like a celebrity appearance, man. Hard to compete with grandma. And a new house, ton of room to move about, a lot of toys all set up. And my little daughter was playing with grandma, playing with all these things. She, she, I 
bus somehow unlocks the office door and comes in. And she says something so precious, she, draw ne- she draws near. She says, Daddy, I miss you. I want to hang out with you. I wish somebody else would work <laughs> so that I can hang out with you. And in that moment, the father's heart, the father's heart was, this pales in comparison. If that's what, if that's what my kid wants, they're going to draw near. I'm going to draw near to them. So I shut the laptop. I said, this can wait. You all can suffer. I'm going to hang out with my kids. Suffer through a crazy sermon. And what did I do? Well, I found a, a guitar I forgot about in my attic in the townhouse we moved from. And I busted out my old electric. And man, because we're not in a townhouse anymore, I turned that thing full blast. And me and my three kids, what did I do? I sang over them. And what did they do? They danced. And they were filled with joy. They're playing with daddy. And they're singing songs. And they're rumbling and tumbling. And I'm beaming, fighting back tears of the joy of my kids drawing near to me. And me drawing near to them. And singing over them. And they're singing back to me. That's what's taking place. Every time you open up your mouth, it brings a smile. It moves the father heart of God. And he draws near. That's why, that's why praise is so powerful because it attracts the presence of God. There's, the singing has nothing in and of itself, but it's a, the heart cry of the redeemed saying, God, come Holy Spirit. Your kids, we've been redeemed. We want you. We want to hang out with you. We want to sing to you. And the Father delights and he sings over us. And I'll conclude with this. You and I will sing to our Savior to the extent that you hear the song that the Father is singing over you. You and I will sing to our Savior to the extent that you hear the Father's song over you. Redeemed, beloved, washed, white as snow, sins remembered no more. The apple of my eye, my heart's desire, That's God's posture towards you and me. He's delighting and he's in us and he's singing over us. And all he asks in return is that his beloved would sing back, would sing back with hearts filled with affection and adoration. So let's go before the Lord in in prayer. Praying the, the prayer we read in Psalm, the Psalms that... God would reveal to us where our hearts are pursuing things that will never satisfy. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and you just minister the love of God to our hearts, God. Whatever you're doing to me up here, I pray to it to them, Lord Jesus. Even for those at home in their PJs on the live stream, would you just now, Holy Spirit, Ephesians 3, Romans 5, it's biblical, by the Spirit being poured into our hearts, we encounter the, the, the heights and the lengths and the depths of God, His love for us, the depths of His love for us by the indwelling of your Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, and reveal that love. Maybe for those in this room who've never felt the affection of God, maybe, maybe for those in this room that have been at church a while, but they've never actually heard that God delights in them. 
And God is after their joy. And God is after uh, the abundance of their life found in him alone. Holy Spirit, I pray you wash away this false teaching that you're a cosmic killjoy. And that to follow Jesus means to live a life of sheer misery. It's the exact opposite of what you teach us in your word and what you came to give us. Nothing compares to your presence. Nothing holds a candle to knowing you, God. And so thank you that you've drawn near to us, even in spite of our sins, even in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it, you drew near because you love us. You love us. So we come before you grateful. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.